Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast, with your host, Rob Snowett. This is episode 221 of the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast, live from Edison, New Jersey. The drive there was not much fun. It rained the entire time, and as soon as I got there, the sun came out on the horizon and blinded every driver. GPS had me take the wrong turn due to New Jersey driving and the roads. It took me about 40 minutes to get back to where I was going. Thus, once I got settled... I didn't really leave the area. I went from hotel to venue, venue to Wawa, and back. That was it. I wasn't impressed with a lot of the flies I saw tied there. Not much new. It's the same stuff year after year. I was impressed with Karen. You'll hear about her fly tying coming up. Squapish had some pretty funky materials. And I want to say most of the laughs came from the Women's Showcase movie. I did pick up some new and old materials at a couple of booths. I should have interviewed Kevin Arculio about his updated flies. He no longer uses bead chain. He's got a new, it looks like miniature chain link fencing that he's using. If you're a vendor and you're on the phone the entire time someone visits your booth, it's pretty uncool. It's not a good way to run a business. And the show is still extremely spread out. There's a lot of walking inside there. And I did spend most of one day trying to chase somebody down for a live podcast 
but they were just too busy. I put lots of miles on my shoes. I interviewed some people you may not have thought to stop at their booths and talk to. So we're going to find out about them now. Please follow them on their social medias. Give them a call if you want to help out any nonprofits, if you've got time. And I've got a bunch of shows coming up. So I will see you in Lancaster in March. If you want to start ordering your shad flies, let's start doing that now if you don't want to buy them at the show. If you want to tentatively book a shad trip, let me know. We'll get it on the books. And once spring comes around, we'll see how the water conditions are. If they're favorable, we'll keep that date. Thanks for downloading, and let's get you to Edison, New Jersey. All right, we have Tom Rosenbauer. What's going on, Tom? I'm, I'm just lying here getting a tattoo, Rob. And what, do you, what is your tattoo going to be of? It's a little bonefish fly. Your design? No, Casey's design. Okay. If I designed it, it would look like a blob. Now, do you have it weighted or unweighted? It's uh, It's got metal eyes, okay. so it's kind of intermediate. More uh, you than Dr. Inter- Adams? Yeah, yeah. Sort of like a little little crazy Charlie thing, you know. Is this going to become a habit? Are you going to have a full sleeve soon? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think I got enough. Okay. And this is your first tattoo? This is my first tattoo. My wife doesn't know yet. All right, we're at Bull Sugar. Do you want to introduce yourselves? Sure. I'm Peter Gerard. I'm with BullSugar.org, and with me is... Emily Mori. I'm also with BullSugar.org. And what is Bull Sugar exactly? Bull Sugar was founded to stop the government from poisoning people and destroying environments in South Florida, including three amazing estuaries and the Everglades National Park. And is Bull Sugar, is that a play on words? <laughs> It is a play on words. Yeah, we we are named as a minor swear word, but also to bring attention to the fact that in South Florida, where water management determines everything about who wins and loses in that environment, everything from who gets fresh water and drinking water to which estuaries are destroyed after rainfall, uh, the sugar industry is the single most influential force in politics and the entire system. So letting people know that sugarcane in Florida right now is the most important thing to our government and to our water managers is the reason we called ourselves that. Is it more than just not buying Florida sugarcane? Sugarcane isn't the problem. So to be honest, sugarcane can grow. We're not against sugarcane. What we struggle with and what the entire state struggles with is how we prioritize who gets water and who gets drainage. And right now, it's destroying the coasts, it's destroying a national park, and the priorities are shuffled. They're wrong. So what's going on with the water? You just have massive nitrates and phosphorus coming off? You got it. That's exactly right. So you've got Lake Okeechobee, which people call the liquid heart of the Everglades in Florida. And it is absolutely brimming with uh, runoff, with basically you know industrial and agricultural runoff. Uh, and when the lake gets too high, there is a dam that sits at the south end, uh, and the Army Corps of Engineers worries that it's structurally unsound. Uh, So to protect the people living under the dike, when the lake gets too high, they release it to the coasts, and this nutrient just blasts out east and west, and that's what's feeding red tide, it's what's feeding cyanobacteria, it's basically plant food. And it's destroying everything that's passed, it's like something out of a, a horror movie. And the government doesn't seem real keen on solving it or fixing it. Well, the problem is the biggest political contributor in Florida is the sugar industry. If you want to run for office, in general, you're going to need funding and backing from the sugar industry. 
And that means you're going to need to do what they want when it comes to decisions on who gets water, who gets drainage. And that's the problem. No, the government's not in a rush to fix this uh, because they'd lose their jobs. You've got a new governor. Anything he's doing? So far, so good. And I think somewhat unexpectedly. Uh, Bull Sugar actually runs voter guides, and we had called Ron DeSantis a clean water candidate. Uh, in his first month in office, he's done more than the previous governor did in eight years to change the media. Um, I talked about water management. The most powerful political organization in terms of South Florida's water is called the South Florida Water Management District, and they've been openly backing the sugar industry, uh, including leasing public land for sugarcane, uh, for the most part, without any public input. Uh, and DeSantis, in his first days in office, asked for the entire governing board to resign. And it's the first time that the public has gotten a glimpse of what that conflict looks like. So it's a significant change. So far, he's been really sharp on this issue. I remember last year, I think it was a saltwater fishing magazine had a close for the week because the employees couldn't breathe the air outside their office. Uh, our board member, actually, Blair Wickstrom, was the guy who was interviewed on that. Uh, he's the publisher of Florida Sportsman. And uh, that's exactly right. He was not the only one. That was not the only business. It stinks of death and rot. You, you know, it's not just that it smells bad, uh, and you can't keep a business open in that environment. Uh, it also has serious health repercussions. Um, you can get you know, eye irritation. You can develop breathing problems from being around it. Uh, but what's even scarier is it's associated with neurological diseases like Parkinson's and ALS and Alzheimer's. So if you're exposed to this, you're at much higher risk than the general population for coming down with those diseases. And Florida is rather known for having some elderly folks that may have compromised immune systems. Absolutely. Uh, it also means that for the, the near-term uh, effects of it, they struggle more than, than younger people might. Uh, people can't go outside. They can't leave their homes when these blooms are out there. Are people protesting that their livelihoods... I mean, Florida's based on tourism. If there's no fish and no beaches, you can't go and spend money. People were really aware of it this year. Obviously, it was national news this year. But it's interesting. The business community is kind of split. You definitely have people who are speaking up. You've got people like Blair who are saying, my employees can't come to work and this has to change. You've also got people who want it to go away and put pressure on organizations like us to shut up about it uh, because they want to lie low and not develop a reputation for having these water problems. Um, I get it. Lots of us run small businesses. But... You know, this has happened three years in a row. Uh, it's the new normal. It's becoming the new normal, and um, not talking about it isn't making it go away. How can listeners that are not at the show get involved? There are a couple of ways. Um, obviously, please take a look at bullsugar.org. Learn about this issue. Uh, we're here at a fishing show because most of us fish, and that's how a lot of us discovered the issue. It's destroying fisheries on the east and west coast. It's also related to the water problem that's collapsing Florida Bay right now. So please learn more. Come to our site. Consider becoming a member. Uh, we've had great support from Patagonia. If you become a member, uh, you'll get you know Patagonia material. You can choose a hat. They've given us buffs. Um, so that would be one way to help us and help yourself. The other is get political. It's not just a Florida issue. Uh, the federal government is what's controlling the water coming into that lake right now. 
you're going to see legislation coming up very, very soon from a Florida congressman that's going to need national support. And again, this isn't a complicated issue. It's not about water hydrology or, or science. This is about a government poisoning people. It's got to stop. It's as bad as, say, up in Michigan with the poisonous lead water. It's interesting. So U.S. Sugar, of course, is, uh, has connections to Flint, Michigan, the Mott family and the Mott Foundation. Uh, so this is an issue that seems to follow them. That's unfortunate. <laughs> and again, farming sugar is not the issue. Uh, poisoning people is. Right. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks. It was a pleasure. All right, we have Megan with us from Alaska. You want to tell us what you're doing here? Sure. So my name is Megan. I'm a Bristol Bay organizer with Trout Unlimited in Alaska. I'm here spreading the word about the proposed Pebble Mine, which is the proposal to build North America's largest open pit mine in the headwaters of Bristol Bay in southwestern Alaska. I thought we were done with this years ago. Yeah, you and everyone else. Um, so Pebble went quiet around 2014. They uh, were having some troubles with invest- investors, and it was a poor political window for them. But change of administration, much better window for them to apply for their permits, and that's what they've done. So in December of 2017, they applied for their Phase 1 key permit, and the Army Corps of Engineers responded by laying out a fast-track two-year permit review, which is ongoing right now. And it's in 2019, this is going to be the, the big year for them. If they get this permit, they will be on track to be digging in Bristol Bay in the next five years. If they don't, it's going to be pretty hard for them to to get around that and move forward with the mine. So your booth should be up front, and everyone has to go through your booth to get to the show. I I agree. I yeah. agree. Yeah, it's kind of a trade. If people want Pebble Mine stickers, which is kind of like the cool thing to have, they got to come fill out a comment card against the mine. It's on the back of my drift boat, and I have the hat. And then I, the hat was in storage. Then I pulled it out. I was like, I have to wear it again. Yeah, yeah, you do. You got to continue yeah. to rep the cause, yeah, for sure, because. Um, that's the the way that we're going to stop them this year is by having another massive outpouring of support for Alaskans who are consistently and overwhelmingly saying we oppose this mine. Right. So, how can listeners that are not at the show voice their concern? Yeah, so a way to submit comments is to go to savebristolbay.org slash take action. It's a pretty simple and clear button that's right on our webpage and a pretty easy comment to just fill out and um, send that to the Army Corps. Uh, they can do that now, but um, the official period will be opening March 1st, and then we'll have 90 days for people from all over the country to, to voice their opinion. And what are the consequences if they start digging? What's going to happen up there? So Bristol Bay is really the unique place that it is because it's the last place where the headwaters of a major fishery are intact. So even if there was no catastrophic failure at the mine, the second that they start digging, it's going to have an impact not only on the fishery, but the commercial fishing industry, which is a billion-dollar industry, the sport fishing industry, which is a multi-million dollar industry, and then also just the thousands of Native Alaskans who subsistence um, fish and live off of salmon, and that's their, their backbone and their support. So there's other countries besides America that fish those waters, the Vietnamese, Chinese, the Koreans. Are they involved at all in trying to prevent this from happening? Not so much. Um, We're more concerned about what Alaskans specifically are saying about this. This is their backyards. This is their livelihoods that will be impacted. Um, Not to be said that this fishery doesn't have a global impact, like like you said. So we're seeing... 
the most um, opposition from Alaskans um, right there, but it would definitely be something that would impact other countries and that they do have a stake in. And that's why we're here in New Jersey, why we're going to be all over the lower 48, just trying to spread the word and make sure that everyone is giving their feedback and showing that the whole country is against Pebble Mine. So... Are you going to other shows besides this? Yep, I will be at uh, the at or we're at Edison, the the Linwood show and the Pleasanton show, and then various other sports shows throughout the year. So definitely opportunity to, to come chat with me, get a sticker, fill out a comment card, and learn more about the proposal. Sounds good. Thanks for cool. your time. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, Karen, I've got lots of questions for you. Uh, so I've been walking down the fly aisle. Usually, it's, it, I've seen the same stuff year after year, but your stuff is not normal. What are you tying here? I'm tying realistic flies with a twist because I want them to be, I want people to use them. Um, there are ultra realistic flies that are absolutely beautiful. However, no one wants to throw them in the water. So I wanted to show people how to use all natural materials and how to put a fly that looked very realistic together in a matter of minutes so that they would actually go out and use them. What are some of the insects that you're tying up this weekend? Uh, today I'm tying black ants. I'm tying cased caddises, house spiders, golden mayflies, blue damsels, and hornets. Where do you get your inspiration for the materials to go into these? Basically, I have a very limited amount of materials that go into all of them. Most of all of the legs, most of the legs are made with feather quills. A lot of the bodies are spun deer hair. I use fine natural rabbit dubbing. The only one that has really anything that's a little bit different is the cased caddis because I use seed beads and actually sew it through the dubbing onto the onto the hook so it makes the casing. What are your more interesting ingredients? What are you using on those wasp wings? I'm using dried fish fins. Um, if you take a fish fin and lay it out on a plate and stretch it and let it dry for an hour, flip it over, let the other side dry, and puts the fish slime's coating on it, makes it shiny. And all of the material that's in between the spines, I cut out and use for wings on hornets. Are you procuring these from the market, from the pet store? I'm procuring them from children on the dock who have a bucket full of dead fish that they're going to haul home. <laughs> and I, usually I would go down, uh, we lived on a lake at our previous home, and I would go down in the summertime and I would get into the kids' buckets and I would take my kitchen shears and cut off all of the fins, take them home and dry them. And to tell you the truth, they don't rot. They last for years, and I've probably had my fins for at least five years now. So I only collect them maybe once every five to ten years. Wow. Okay. You also have a book that you've published? I do. It's The Art of Realistic Tying, and it it is a step-by-step manual on how to put each how to put 10 different patterns of mine together so uh, beginners you might want to be more in the intermediate range before you try it I would hate for someone to get frustrated with tying flies because it's such a wonderful art and a wonderful fun thing to do so you really don't put the materials on any differently than you do a normal traditional fly but it's what you do with it once you get it on there if people follow the step-by-step instructions, anyone should be able to put one together. 
Does this require any specific tools, your threads, anything specific that you use no. to make these? No. When I developed these patterns, I was a little bit frustrated with tying Atlantic salmon fly patterns and that I had to buy specific feathers and specific silks and that and it got to be very expensive so I decided I didn't want to follow someone else's pattern I wanted to tie flies that were my own patterns but I also wanted it to be um, available to anyone that they could get the materials anywhere someone who was tying a hundred years ago could have tied one of these using the materials that are available so spun deer hair fish fins feather quills just from the least expensive hackles that you can buy or get. Um, that's I just strip them all down and use the quills. And I use fine natural rabbit dubbing, which any type of dubbing would actually work. Someone could use. Um, so it really, you don't need to go out and get anything specific for these flies, other than the beads. If you're going to try and do the, the cased caddis, you do need the little tiny seed beads. Are there any insects that don't work that you've tried to make that are just too complicated a, a body structure? Not really the ones that we use for fishing. I have tied a few that I wouldn't use for fishing, one of them being a scorpion, which was a very difficult pattern, and it's not something I would use to fish with anyone. It was actually a special order, or I probably never would have made it because I enjoy tying them for the purpose of fishing with them. Do you get your inspiration from what's along your light bulbs outside at the house at night or when you're out fishing? <laughs> when I'm out fishing. You know, and I'll take some of the more popular traditional patterns that I like to fish with, a mayfly, a spinner, and I will try and imitate the actual insect itself instead. Where is home for you? What are your home waters? My home waters are in Washington State. I was born and raised in Aberdeen along the mighty Wishkaw River. I spent a lot of time down there as a kid fishing, not fly fishing at that time, but I think my love of entomology started then. The cased caddises were always in the river and there were always um, mayfly hatches and that along the way. So it started then. Um, I started tying in my late 30s, early 40s. So like a couple years ago. Yeah, years yeah. ago. And I had owned a tackle store, and I decided that I wanted someone to come out from another store close to me and teach fly tying and fly casting to my customers, and he did. And I had to be there anyway, so I took the class and I took the lessons, and I never looked back. I've never... Gear fished beyond. I'm sure you're better than the teacher. Oh, uh, I don't know. These he was pretty nuts. good. He was pretty good. <laughs> Do you have a favorite pattern to tie? Is one which is more entertaining? The steps involved, prepping materials. Yeah, I think I I really enjoy the damselflies, and there's such variations in them. I, of course, these the ones I've tied here for the show are all the blue, the the kingfisher blue color. But there is such a variation of those little guys out there in nature. You've got red and green, and and uh, we recently relocated to Ohio, and it was the first time I had experienced the black ones that actually have the black butterfly wings. They don't fly like the damselflies I'm used to, and it looked like a butter, 
an elongated butterfly, and it was just beautiful. Hang out on hostas in my, well, my parents' old house. Yeah, yeah, they're really nice. So I just enjoy that one because I can vary it up. Uh, of course, you could the spider too, but it, uh, everyone likes to see the spider pattern, and it's gotten kind of old and mundane for me. So I think most people want it because they want to scare someone with it. So they buy them so they can take them home and put them on someone's pillow. <laughs> How's the reception to your patterns at the show? Like I said, most of these stuff are kind of the same as you walk up and down. Yeah. I'm looking for something new and novel, and yeah, you well, caught my eye. The fishable ones are are novel. The realistics, there's a, there are a few tires out here now that tie the realistics, but like I said, mine are not anatomically exactly correct. Oh, that's not what I'm trying to do what i'm trying to do is make a silhouette that the fish will be interested in so where can listeners find you if they want to purchase these purchase your book how can they get a hold of you um, my book is available on amazon in kindle or paperback version i have a website that is in the works um custom flies by karen and currently you can go and look there are a few pictures it will be up and running within the next few months fantastic Hey, Karen, thanks for your time. Thank you very much. It was nice meeting you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Rutgers Center for Fisheries, and you are? Anthony Vistano. All right, Anthony, let's talk about uh, passage of shad and herrings up the Raritan River. River. We're right on the Raritan River. Yes. Okay. So So what are you guys doing? So uh, Rutgers straddles the the Raritan River, and recently there have been a number of dams that have been removed along the Raritan, and so we were interested in how well shad and river herring were able to pass uh, the last remaining dam that, that they encounter, not the last one, but the first one that they encounter, the Island Farm Weir. And so this dam can't easily be removed because it's there to maintain a water level for drinking water, water treatment plant. And so we're trying to see how well shad and river herring are able to pass through the fish ladder that's there. And so what we do at, we do for the last seven years, we've been going out and pit tagging the American shad and river herring. And so we go out there with a 300-foot seine net with a bunch of volunteer students. Yeah, it's a big net. And so we try to catch as many shad and herring as we can. Over the the course of the project, we've tagged 50 American shad and more than 120 river herring. That doesn't sound like a lot, but in the Raritan, that is quite a bit. We're we're out there three, four days a week for two or three months trying to tag those fish. How bad has the return of fish been with this low dam that far down the river? So as far as what? Like the, fish returning yearly? Oh, returning yearly? So interesting enough, um, we're, these pit tags have a unique number to them. So we've actually had four fish that we've tagged come back the year after. They were all river herring. We have not had any uh, American shad come back the year after, though, that we've tagged. Okay. So, and if, if we look through the data of what we from our tagged fish we find that about half of the American shad are able to make it to the entrance of the fish ladder, and 38% of the total tag make it through the fish ladder. 
It's a bit worse for the uh, river herring, though. Only about 2% of the river herring are able to make it through that fish ladder. That's weird, because from my observations, those will go up any trickle of water that's the next source for upstream. They swim up the discharge from water treatment plants thinking that's the next source of water. Uh-huh. Yeah. They're pretty hardy I little mean, fish. So if, if you... If you look here, um, this is this is a weir, so it's a it's a low head dam where the water actually flows over the top. So you've got a lot of water flowing over that might be confusing them. Okay. Uh, we we do have a camera system installed in the fish ladder, and we actually count all the fish that go through every year. So is that something visible online? Yes, it is. So if you go to RaritanFishCam.Weebly.com, you can check that out. It's live from April through June. And we've got a nice guide of all the fish that you can find in the Raritan there. What are some other fish that are struggling to come back up the river? Struggling to come back up the river? I'm not too sure, actually. Like other species that were once historic but now are really depleted? Is it just like the eels? And Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we don't see as many, as many eels as we historically did. Um, but we do see them out there. When we're there, we, we find small pieces of pipe in that, and we'll find the, the eels in there. What about lamprey? Do you get lamprey that stick onto your glass? We, we do, yes. So It's always weird. We have a camera in the Richmond Dam, uh-huh. and at night you'll see lamprey stuck to it. That's, yeah, we, we've had the same thing where we'll, we'll be looking at our night footage. We've got an infrared camera so we can see at night, and we'll see a couple of lamprey actually attached to the glass. Have you seen anything go by that was completely unexpected? Uh, yes. So actually we discovered that there are flathead catfish in the Raritan River through this during this project. So we identified them and we, we notified the DEP. What would there. have been their historic upstream spawning ground? How far could they go if these dams weren't yeah. present? Um, probably probably as far as they could. Um, you know, they, they do have, have quite a bit of run, as you can see in this image here. Um, but, you know, the, their numbers are not where they were historically. If you look back to the landing data from the early to mid-1900s, they're, they're quite a bit lower, especially the herring. The herring are like 8% of the biomass. And striped bass, are they coming up too? We, we do see some striped bass. I'm, I'm not too familiar with the numbers of those, though. Um, but we, we occasionally catch them in our seine net, and we see them go through the, the fish ladder occasionally. And how is this all being paid for? Are you guys getting grants? Was it through yep, the college? This is, this is, a, this is funded by the, the DEP. So this is a study, like I said, this is going to be the eighth year that we've been doing this for the DEP. So new students come in while others are moving out? Exactly. So this is a really nice program because I myself started as an undergraduate in this program. I actually got my master's degree and now I'm managing it. And so every year we see a new cohort of students come through and get out on the river for the first time for some of them. And they actually get to handle fish and interact with them. It's nice when someone can use the term cohort correctly. Yeah. (laughs) An ecological term that most people don't understand. Uh Uh-huh. Is there anything about shad that you or herring that you want people to know that are not from the East Coast, where they don't see these historic runs of fish that have been depleted? Anything um, that, why, why should other people be interested in this? Chad, Someone that lives in Kansas or Australia. Sure. Um, it, it's an amazing fish. I mean, if you think about their migration, they're going from the ocean, and like a salmon would, they have to, to migrate upstream to spawn, and we don't make it easy for them. There, there's a lot of obstacles, and Historically, we haven't taken care of our rivers that well. So it's an amazing thing that they've been able to persist even in the numbers that they have. Do you guys have any social media online where people can follow the progress? Yep. So on Facebook, we've got a Facebook group. It's called the Raritan River Shad Volunteers. We've also got the Rutgers Fishery Center Twitter. So it's RU Fisheries. 
is our handle. Um, and then, like I said, we've got our fish cam website. Fantastic. So. Are the dams upstream hopefully coming down so this one ever gets removed? I, I'm not too familiar with, with those. Um, there is one uh, near Duke Island Park. Um, that, that's the other one that I know about. There is one that was taken down, I believe it was last year. So they are, they are still actively looking to remove dams okay. and open up more habitat for them. I think my last question, where's the best place to get a sandwich at Rutgers? Best place to get it. Um, if, if you want a fat sandwich... There's Are You Hungry? I tried that. You tried that? I was so... You want, you want a better... eyes were soggy and cold. Yep. I guess you have to be yep. very drunk. Yeah. I, I have to tell you, they were better when the grease trucks were, were freestanding and they were just in that parking lot. They've gotten a little bit worse. Okay. But, yeah. Other than the grease trucks? Best sandwich around there. It's near Rutgers, there's a place called A&G Fine Foods. It's Italian food. They make a good sandwich. Very cool. All right. Well, thanks for your time. Right. Have a good weekend Thank here. you. Appreciate it. We've got Andrew with us, and you're a part of TU Teens. Yep. So let's talk about what you guys do. Yeah, TU Teens is just a nonprofit organization. We're part of Trout Unlimited as a whole. But our goal is to involve more teens in Trout Unlimited through their local chapters and also by attending our TU Teens Summit, which is held annually at a different part of the U.S. Um, we've had it in Montana, Virginia, Michigan. And the goal of these camps is to develop the teens' leadership and also share and discuss ways to involve teens in their own communities to bring more teens and high schoolers into fly fishing and conservation by joining the local chapters and then eventually coming to a summit. So in that way, we after the summit, we all work together to come to events like this and bring more teens in the sport we love, and that's what it's all about. How did you get involved with TU? Yep, so I actually went to a TU youth camp, which is like a state-by-state camp, and what I did there is I learned to cast, learned to catch bass and panfish, and then... I actually wrote an essay about it and submitted it to the TU Teens Essay Contest and ended up winning, and that's when I learned about Trout Unlimited Teen Summit. I attended for the first time in North Carolina four years ago, and I've gone to the summit every every year since. Where's this year's summit? This coming year's summit's going to be on Camp Watanopa on Georgetown Lake in Montana. Hopefully you're going? I hope so, you yeah. Take the whole summer to go? Uh, yeah, it's, it's just... Like, it's Mom, just I'm a, taking the Volvo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'll be nice, yeah. It's, it's a four-day, three-night camp, but a lot of people like to go and stay overnight and hang out a bit afterwards, so it's a great community, yeah. That's pretty sweet. They did not have that when I was a team member when I was 15. Now my mom used to drive me to the meetings. Yeah. And who's this we have here? This is Gus. Hey, um, Gus, you want to say hi? Yeah, Gus, we're gonna, Gus is going to say hi. Is there a mascot here? No, <laughs> you can't eat the microphone, dude. You are a well-behaved guy. Yeah. Abigail, anything you want to mention about TU? It's, it's a wonderful program, and I recommend any teens, if, even if you don't fly fish, get in, into TU. All right. What about high school? Are there kids at school that are, like, trout fishing and seriously? And you're like, yeah, but you play video games all day, so we're, <laughs> this, is more, this is better. You don't look like y'all have rickets and, and messed up thumbs for being inside all day. No. <laughs> it's good to see kids or teens outside. Yeah, I feel yeah, old yeah. calling you kids, but <laughs> it'll happen to you one day. Yeah, not enough. That's why we're trying to get more people into it every right day. What years are y'all at school? Uh, we're both seniors. Right. What are you looking to go to school? Um, Somewhere with fish? Yeah, that's a big factor. I'm trying to get into engineering. and uh, I'm looking at UD in Maine for uh, criminal justice. All right. I, I luckily went to school right on the Rappahannock in Fredericksburg. There you go. Striper, shad, smallmouth all summer. It's pretty sweet. Yep. Do you guys have a separate social media website where people yeah. can follow? 
Yeah, you can find us on Instagram at TU Teens, just one word. And uh, we have weekly posts about all the teens across the country getting into it and uh, and the fish they catch and the experiences they have. And it's a great way to get involved and find a community near you with teens. All right. Cool. Well, thanks for all the work. Do you want to say anything? It's a great organization. I'm Adele Shermer from Pennsylvania. Where in Pennsylvania? Um, Central PA, a little bit west of Harrisburg. Okay. All right. Are you going to be at the Lancaster show? Um, as of now, I'm going to be at the show, and we should have a Trout Unlimited teens booth there as well. All right. We'll, we'll check out with you all then. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you. We'll see you then. We're with Chris, and let's talk uh, geology, maybe? Yeah, I guess you could say that. Uh, uh, stone fly tying vices. Uh, company's got uh, fly stones as the name. Do uh, you know reclaimed marble and granite pieces uh, with uh, a custom vice insert to fit uh, standard three eighths vices. What kind of drill requires you to go through that? I guess with your job working with this, normally you have the material. Yes, uh, all the tooling to cut this stuff has to be diamond tipped. So uh, your diamond bridge saw blades, your diamond core bits. And uh, your diamond core bit for a one-inch bit runs anywhere between fifty to seventy dollars for one bit. You know that's just per wow. size. You know, different size holes require a new bit, and you, you start getting up there in price. So, someone that's clumsy like me would they <laughs> break one of these? Uh, they're pretty heavy, so I mean, you drop it, uh, it might break, but you're gonna probably hurt yourself. So, okay. yeah, they're very heavy. Uh, yeah, very heavy, sturdy bases. Tell me about the rock itself. So it's what is Grant? I don't really. I know it's granite, but. Uh, your, your granite is, uh, you know, your leader and your countertops, uh, still still going strong. Uh, the majority of it comes out of uh, the country of Brazil. Brazil and India are your top importers. Uh, it's basically a, a metamorphic rock that's mixed with, if we're going to be scientific, it's uh, granite mica, feldspar, quartz, all kind of mixed together and pressed over years. So it's pretty much uh, the history of what I can tell you about it. And you just go with the shapes that they come out with? Like you didn't carve any of these. This is just the natural shape of a remnant. Um, I actually, I actually have uh, in bigger pieces, and I have like a pneumatic air chisel with teeth that I can go around and make my own shapes. So if someone really did want like a like an outline of a state or something like that, you know, I can do that. My wife went to uh, an artist, <laughs> and this was at a like a festival in D.C. Wood guy. She's like, "Can you make us a custom map of Colorado?" Yeah. And I go and pick it up. And I kid you not, it's a square cutting board. Oh, geez. I'm like, seriously, what did you pay for this? Why didn't you get Virginia? There you go. So yeah. you can actually cut out. I can, and if it's if it's very detailed. This uh, could I, be in Ohio almost. It could be. Uh, what I do offer, too, as well, is uh, I do some sandblasting as well. So you can sandblast some logos on the stone's face and stuff nice. like that. So if you get something really detailed that you can't cut into the shape of, uh, I've done some square bases and put, like, just a, an outline of a state in, you know, sandblasted in so just customizes a little bit did you hear about the geologist woman whose neighbors played a plank played a prank on her they put a boulder in front of her car and blocked her in oh geez i didn't, didn't realize that. she has a pneumatic like jack so she <laughs> sat there and broke it into pieces and drove to work that's that's pretty awesome she got lucky on that <laughs> cool. and where's home for you uh montoursville pennsylvania is where my shop's based out of uh, I live in uh, Montgomery, Pennsylvania. Is so. there anything there we would know about uh, a towners? Yeah, the closest thing is, uh, if you ever seen the little kids on TV, the Little League World Series in Williamsport? That's yeah. the biggest baseball event in August. Short drive from there. Right. Very close. So. Cool. Any other shows you're going to do this season? Uh, I'm going to go to Lancaster this year. So I'll be I'll be there. That's the only two that I'm doing this year. So. All right. Fantastic. All right.
And people can order these online? Yep, I got a website, uh, flystones.net. Uh, it's got all my contact information uh, after the show. Uh, all my inventory will be back on there. While I'm here right now, though, I can't you know, sell online, so my website's frozen right now, so no one buys one that I sell here at the show. So That happened recently with an eBay product. Oh, geez. I gave my neighbor a New Belgium tap for a keg, mm-hmm. and then I forgot it was on eBay, and then it sold. I was like, yeah, Scotty, sorry, i got to come over and uh, gonna need that back. take that back. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So I was a little embarrassed with that. Yeah. But cool, man. I'm glad you got a cool niche here. Awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. And what's the website? Uh, flystones.net. Easy one to remember. Yep. All right. Thanks. Thank you. So we're at Taylor Reels, and, and I heard a cool story yesterday about how this started. So I want to hear it from the founder. You want to introduce yourself and tell us how you went from fishing to having your own real company. Yeah, so my name is Matthew Taylor, and I started Taylor Reels um, in 2012. And how we started is, originally, I come from an outdoorsy family, so I have several uncles who are elk hunting guides and fishing guides, and so I just kind of grew up in it. So fly fishing kind of became my thing, and one day just after a trip on the water, my background is a graphic design and just doodling, making some reels on the computer, and came up with a few designs one of my cousins took a look at it and he's like man i know someone who can machine one of those for you let's give it a try and so we did so we machined four reels initially from that point of machining four reels we kind of just you know i threw it out there on social media and anyone interested in these what do you think and they all sold and some there that same cousin was like you know i heard of this website called kickstarter.com it's brand new and at the time, Kickstarter is a big website now, but at the time, it was, it was a really new startup and so not something that too many people are familiar with. And so we were the first fly fishing company on there and put our reels in our first month. We did 10, sold $10,000 in reels in our first month on there. And it just went from there. And so we just kept releasing models. And it's funny, we didn't start off with like a business plan and nor did I really have this. I, I didn't have like this grand scheme of making and selling reels. We just made a few started selling them and they kept selling and selling and selling and doing well and I think some of it was just being in the right time in the market we were had bright colors we were anodizing and different colors that were available and our price was pretty fair and so we kept selling reels and even to this day we were doing new things and anodizing a bunch of new options that no one else has and so it's just progressively snowballed from there and every year we continue just to expand and grow and and do better and better so it's it's been quite a ride quite an adventure so that is a pretty cool story yeah all right i think we, i just want to have you on one time we'll talk the whole thing in the full podcast sometime. yeah that'd be awesome yeah yeah that'd be and, awesome uh, so that was 2012 so is when we started fiddling with them so by the time we actually went to like full on market it was probably another year and a half later um like i said we originally at, just made a few was fishing it with our friends literally had no plan to be like let's turn this into a business we were just made a few reels for us and our buddies and me and my cousins and a couple friends of ours were fishing them and like i said people wanted to buy them and so we'd post pictures on social media and people would be like you know how much is that we didn't have like any kind of what we were doing you know so so i don't know we'll sell it to you for this much and and so yeah, so from there, it, it literally just became kind of a random idea, not necessarily a business plan or a structure. And 
one of the things that's really cool is a lot of the big companies, I would say, I mean, 90% of these guys have big corporate businesses backing them. Even the ones that seem small a lot of times have, you know, really big finance behind them. And we, we started from four reels. We've never borrowed any money. Is As we've sold them, we've just made more and came out with new models, continued to innovate. So um, literally from the ground up, you know, even a lot of startups, you know, start off with the, uh, you know, take out a big loan and we didn't. We just started with what we had and sold a few and continued to sell them. So it's kind of how the journey went. Right on. And just yeah. keep letting them grow. Yeah. Keep doing your thing. Thanks. Yeah, it's been fantastic. 2018 was great. 2019 has already started off like record numbers for us far and away. So things have been really good. All right. You meet Atlanta next weekend? We won't. This is our last show. Our next one we're doing is in London in March. So I'll see you there. Yeah. I'll see you there on Friday. Awesome. Yeah, man. All right. Thanks. Thank you. All right. We have Heather and Jen with us here. We're going to talk about a movie that's going to be showing at the Women's Showcase in a little bit. So y'all went on a road trip starting from? Nashville. Nashville, Tennessee. To Spokane, Washington. How long did the drive take? 19 days. 19 days. How many hours of driving? Miles? 3,500 miles. Like, driving? Oh, man, we didn't actually And then back. So 3,500 miles and then back. And then Jen drove the truck back. Was it your truck? No, we got a truck from Nissan. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Promotional thing? Yep. They support, they love the ladies. It's awesome. What were some of the highlights of the trip? I guess I'm going to watch that. But for people that haven't seen it that want to see the film. The women's events. I think we had a women's event in Nashville and then in Wisconsin and then in Fort Collins, Colorado, and then in uh, Ennis and then Craig. And those were the fun parts. I mean, there were so many great parts, but yeah. I mean, apart from the fishing, that was the highlight, I think. Any lousy things happen with flat tires? Well, I think my highlight was Jen, when Jen saved my life. Let's hear about that. Because uh, on the Logan River, well, yeah, her ginormous self, she just like became really big and just scared this bear off. No, yeah. <laughs> on the Logan, I, <laughs> I wasn't even waiting. I wasn't even moving, and I got swept off my feet on the river. And the Logan River super fast, and so Jen like. Came, became a superhuman person and like grabbed me and pulled me like to shore and saved my life like legitimately so yeah we our waders were full like it was a complete disaster but yeah. she did save me how have things changed for you <laughs> after going on like just a huge epic road trip you look at things differently now I mean like road trips are just it's good for the soul yeah, yeah. you got to fish too anything that you yeah. do differently now well, we've started a bunch of different things now. I mean, I think that Rip and Hopper has grown into this, like, it's morphed into this giant thing that's just more, it's about women outdoors as much as it is about fly fishing. So we have a lot of good things coming up and another road trip in the making. And I'd say, too, that we're better friends now than we were. And I think that that's a huge, like, kind of undertaking to go on a road trip with somebody you don't know. And then... the most. We Neither both don't store. No. Yeah. Wow. And we actually didn't even sleep, like, the whole entire time, because we were either on social media or Jen's trying to deal with the magazine, like, just trying to go to press, and we're I'm trying, trying to, drive. yeah, we're trying to do all of our expenses, <laughs> trying to edit video, trying to, like, crash drones, like, it was, it was busy. <laughs> it was busy. Anything just completely out of the ordinary crazy shenanigans happen? Well, Heather drove through a tornado. Oh, yeah. My first tornado, I drove through a tornado that was literally, oh, like... I've never seen 
Yeah. So, I mean, it was crazy. It, yeah. So there was that. There was the tornado. Yeah. And then, you know, the we... NBC Nightly News thing. NBC Nightly News came. And then we met some random stranger in Ennis and um, ended up staying at their cabin. Like, So there was a wasn't lot of... It wasn't even their cabin. No, it was some... at some random person's cabin that he was just staying at. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. He cooked us breakfast, yeah. and then he had cheese and crackers and stuff for us when we got off the... And wine when we got yeah. off the river. I, t- I called my boyfriend. I said, just so you know, here's my coordinates. If I don't make it out, <laughs> this is where I'm at. <laughs> you didn't want to end up. Yeah. You just never know. You but never know. we're fly fishers. There's good humans, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So he was an angler. Yeah. He was. Okay. Yeah. But a stranger. Is he familiar from... with you no. and the magazines at all? <laughs> he is now. He is now. We saw him in Denver. He came yeah, out. Yeah, he came and watched really? the movie in Denver. Yeah. Too fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, super fun. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do differently, like, gear-wise, travel-wise, repair-wise for the next road trip? Well, we're already preparing ahead of time now, because yeah. last time we decided to do it like in January, like this show, and then our road trip was in June? July. June. June. Yeah. June or July. <laughs> I can't yeah. even remember anymore. This time, our road trip is in October, the end of October, so we're already planning it out and getting more sponsors and getting more women together so that it's going to be a bigger thing, and we're going to go from Nags Head, North Carolina, all the way down through to Rockport, Texas, fishing redfish. Yeah, we're going to be so, in New Orleans on Halloween. Yes. Wow, this is going to be like the pumpkin spice episode. Oh, oh I like it. it. <laughs> yeah, so just different species. My wife was in New Orleans with my mother-in-law once, and somehow bumped into my brother. He was down there for work. He was in the music business. She called. She's like, your brother's wearing, like, leather pants. Oh, wow. I'm like, what the hell? Like, Alter Ego music industry comes out on Halloween. Wow. It was weird. They bumped into each other on Bourbon That's Street. That's crazy. On Halloween. What are the yeah. chances? Which is, and there's, I've oh. been there a couple times, and it's crazy. You definitely know how, you know how to pee in the street or woods. Oh, yeah. So oh, go God. Oh, yeah. It's the local Mardi Gras, and so it's so fun. Yeah, so that's what we're doing. So come by. So anybody that wants to come see us in New Orleans on Halloween, we'll be there. Yeah, we we will. Yeah. That's coming in the next couple weeks. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have the whole entire, we'll have four main events. And so women can fly to that area or drive and then support local. So like the economy, all of the guides. So everybody will go out and fish and then we'll all get back back together and then drink cocktails and tell tales. And yeah. Where's the best drink y'all had on the trip? Oh, Willie's Distillery. Yeah. So in no Ennis, doubt. Montana. Yeah. No doubt. Best yeah. sandwich you ate on the trip? Did we even eat sandwich? Oh, oh. burrito? No, no. Uh, remember in Chicago, or out in Illinois, remember that random restaurant we found? Your oh. burger was like oh, the yeah, size yeah. of your head. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was in, um, oh, what was that called? Something goat, right? Yeah. Goat head or goat something. It was yeah, somewhere it was in good. Illinois. was amazing. It was really like Evan- It was in Evingham. Is that the place that's known for their bacon? Uh, Benton's bacon? I don't know. I saw a show about bacon recently. No, no. It was just some rant. We just like yelped it. In a teeny tiny little town. It was really good. Did you do any games like this is what I, I spy or anything? No, like card bingo. No, but we we caught uh, fish in the streets of Nashville. Oh, that's right, we did. Yeah, these fake right. little fish. <laughs> it was a downpour, and the water was just rushing by the fly shop. So we got on some raincoats from the fly shop and went outside and started scooping up the fish. I would send them downstream, and Heather would net them. That's funny. Yeah. And Jen's quote is: "At the end of the at the end of the day, this is fly fishing, and fly fishing should be fun." And that's why we ha- we just have fun. Yeah. Netting fish in the middle of the river, or in the middle of the river of the streets in downtown Nashville. Yeah. It was all, it's it was awesome. Good. Yeah. I miss Nashville. We got an air fryer, so we make hot chicken in it. Oh, I had my hot so chicken. And what's the black beans, or what's the caviar that you guys called it? 
Black Eyed Sioux. Oh, Black Eyed Peas? Yeah, that's yeah, a no, but they they had yeah, them at Hattie B's. Yep. And I never, I've never even had that. Purple eyed bees. Purple, 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 purple. I don't know. It was amazing. Some sort of caviar or something. What was the most repeated song on the written? You know, like biscuits. Uh huh. Biscuits by Casey Musgraves. Yep. Okay. That I'm is sure our. My wife and knows. you'll see it on the video. Right. We may or may not be lip singing it and singing it the whole entire Casey time. Casey Musgraves and biscuits. Is there's this. another. She had the song like two years ago that was huge in the summer. All my wife listens to now. I bet you she hears. She knows biscuits. Yeah, she knows yeah. biscuits. It's kind of the story of our life. It's actually the all the lyrics are kind of us. Yeah, it was perfect too because we were on the road trip and we were doing an event in a town that should be unnamed, and uh, we got some flack because we didn't include the one woman who was doing great things, and we didn't even know who she was. And it turns out that some random woman just got online and started like bashing us because we were having it at a place instead of. Um, Instead of like you know where they thought we should have it, and we just so we just straight out contacted the woman that they were saying we missed out on, and she was like, "I couldn't even come today, you know. I didn't even know about it. I don't even know this woman that's saying that. I don't feel like that at all, you know." So then biscuits kind of became even Our, more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything else we should know other than things that are not going to be in the movie? There's no nudity in the movie. No nudity. <laughs> Not a, like the the fishing wasn't amazing to begin with, and then as we kind of moved west, it You're got better. The, the weather too. We like were the it was spring. Oh, yes. and so the first time I'd ever been to the Driftless, which anybody that's a trout angler needs to go to the Driftless. They're not the biggest fish, but it's so it's technical, it's fun, it's beautiful. Um, the pink squirrel. Oh, heck yes, yes, of course, absolutely. But the cool thing about that is it was just different, and but the rivers blew out. Like we definitely had weather, but that's fishing. Like there's. Yeah. You know, it's fishing, not catching. So you just roll with it, and it's so much more than just the fish. Well, we did the Utah throw oh, yeah, slam, yeah. which was fun. And completed it in three days. We, with a broken boom. rod. With Oh, yeah, I broke my rod. Just one broken rod on the trip? Yeah. Yeah, actually. I slammed it in a door. And I was standing <laughs> in a pile of cow shit. And I was like, well, shit happened. <laughs> and then I was like, you know, this is just like, I have to finish my cutthroat slam with my broken rod. And so I did. It was awesome. You ended up breaking a rod on Mossy Creek once, and I think we used just a base. Yeah. Oh, wow. We caught a fish. Totally. It was a it's doable. creek chub. It wasn't a brown, but we still caught still it on the rod. Yeah, still it's counts. awesome. You gotta yeah. adapt. You gotta adapt, exactly, especially if that's all you got. So. Yeah. Yeah. How's the show going so far? Show's going good. Um, I think the Women's Showcase has uh, been more productive than it was last year, which is good to see it grow. Um, and then now we're just looking forward to showing the movie and having our social hour. Is that regular or sweet tea? I hope it's regular, but it's probably sweet. No, out here it's probably it's regular. Probably, yeah. I bet it's, it's regular. regular. Yeah. Did you yeah. take the screen with you to show movies? I Yeah, so we bought this for Rip and Hopper, and we bought a PA and a speaker, and this... Like, this screen I got was, it's 11 pounds, so it breaks down, and you can put it in a backpack. It's awesome. So show movies anywhere. I know. So we are, speaking of that, we will probably be doing some amateur film nights. So there's lots in the works. So Spokane on 323, and then in Nashville on 330. So we're going to show our movie, and then also embrace everyone else that's local and amateur. And so they're going to submit their their films that are 30 seconds to 3 minutes, and we're going to show them all. Just to... Support the love and just show that 
you know, you don't have to go to the Seychelles or, you know, hire a really great filmmaker to be in, to have yourself on the big screen. So, yeah, grassroots man, local. Okay. Just, yeah. It's like shopping small. Heck yeah. Bert. I think I'm going to go find my seat now. Okay, yeah. I've been on my feet for two days now. Go find your seat. Yeah. Go grab a beer, hang out. I need a beer. Yeah. There's beer here. Yeah. yeah. So. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Thanks, it was Sam. fun watching it online, and now I get to see like the pieces of the puzzle put together. That's right. Well, and we filmed, like, we on the GoPro, we did all, like, driving. So it's really cool how David compiled it all. So you can see, like, every bit of different just landscape you drove through. It's cool. Yeah, he did awesome. a great job. Yeah, Fantastic. for sure. All right. Huh. And then social media, who wants to go first for uh, so Heather Hodson, yeah, Heather Hodson at Northwest Fly Girl and United Women on the Fly. So Instagram and Facebook and an awesome website. So it's uwotf.com. So United Women on the Fly.com. Jen? Uh, Jen Ripple on Instagram and Dunn Magazine on Instagram and then DunnMagazine.com. D-U-N like the Mayfly, DunnMagazine.com. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yep. Thank you. Three, two, one, and stop. And action. Hey guys, so my name's Heather Harkavy and I am the director of fundraising and programs with Fish for Change. And so basically I'm running around the show right now helping to promote our new nonprofit and our message to the fly fishing industry and especially the younger generation. So the purpose of our nonprofit is basically to get young kids into the sport of fly fishing and use fly fishing as a catalyst for change. So we run student programs for high school and college students at fly fishing lodges around the world where kids have a chance to come down and basically we turn it into a kids camp for the week. So we take over fly fishing lodges and kids have an opportunity to learn a new fishery and be educated on behalf of fly fishing. But while they're there, they're giving back in every way, shape and form. So our programs are very immersive in these communities and these kids have a chance to teach English in the local schools, work with the local students and help shape that next generation of potential guides. They're doing conservation projects while they're down there, such as mango restoration and plastic cleanup, and the list goes on. And so basically, fishing is this catalyst for change. We're trying to promote this message where if you're going to go out there and fish, yes, it's awesome to catch your first permit on fly or your biggest fish or whatever it is that is valuable to you, but it's so much more. Fishing has this opportunity to give back, and it's this movement that we're trying to just create of give back and make change through fishing, which is such a fish for change. It's a broad term. It has this endless supply of opportunities to just do good and use fishing as a catalyst to make positive change in other locations, whether it's through people or through the environment. Every day you go out there on the water, make something good of it. How many camps do you have and where are they located? Yeah, so we have got camps running at Flyfish Guanaja in Honduras. We've got, in that camp, it's going to be really special. That is our starting location. Steve Brown is the executive director of Fish for Change and a handful of years ago, he started inviting high school students at the end of a season down to help with the local environment um, and plant mangroves while fly fishing. And it kind of just organically unfolded throughout the years. And that is our, our home base. And a lot of beautiful things have happened there. And then we are expanding this year to Abaco Lodge in the Bahamas. And in that program, we're tagging fish with Bonefish and Tarpon Trust. And we're working with really great nonprofits down there, Friends of the Environment and Austin Serving Abaco to kind of help shape that next generation of guides and plant trees and 
pick up plastic and give back in every way, shape, and form. And then we're also going to Campeche Tarpon Lodge in the Yucatan Peninsula, where kids will have a chance to catch baby tarpon on fly. And this is an exciting update as of this fly show. Enrico Puglisi is going to be instructing students on fly tying. So for the kids out there that are obsessed with tying flies, the evenings of the courses will be spent tying flies, and the local guides and their families will be joining us for dinner in the evenings, and we'll be teaching English and working on English projects with them there. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and then we're also jumping into Colorado this year as well, where we're working with Colorado Adaptive Fly Fishing. So we're taking students with intellectual disabilities and helping to expose them to the sport of fly fishing as an outlet and basically setting up a best buddy-like system where kids have a chance to practice their cast, tie flies, and work together to continue fly fishing and be educated on behalf of it. How can listeners help support? Do you need monetary donations? Do you need yeah. like fly tying vices? <laughs> what, what do you guys what so, do y'all need from listeners to help? Our big things right now, um, unfortunately, fly fishing is an expensive sport, and it's one that we're trying to make accessible to everyone that has the drive and willingness to be a part of it. So when it comes to help, I'd say, of course, there's the monetary donations to help fund students to go on a trip like this for a forever life-changing experience. But honestly, just fish for change in your daily lives. Fish for change outside of our student programs is just a movement. Go out there with the cognitive choice to do something good on behalf of the sport of fishing and let's get this conversation moving and this opportunity trending and I think that just spreading awareness as well I mean we're a startup nonprofit, and I would just love to get the word out there so if you've got a second cousin twice removed or whoever it may be no matter there is someone you know that could potentially benefit from one of our programs and would have the best trip of their life send them our way we would love to hear from them and work with them. Fantastic. Where can we find you online? Yeah, so our website is www.fishforchange.org. We also have Fish for Change as our Instagram handle and Fish for Change as our Facebook handle. So feel free to reach out on any of those avenues. If you guys want to shoot me a personal email and talk all things Fish for Change, my email is quite simple. It's heather at, guess what, guess what, fishforchange.org. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so... Keep fishing for change, everybody. (laughs) Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.